Hey everyone, I'm Carrie Lippert Gillespie, and this is The Homestand, the official podcast of the Kansas City Royals. Each homestand will talk to a special guest connecting you with Kansas City in a fresh new way. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more, and tune in every time your boys in blue come home. I am so excited because we have our inaugural guest here today, Royals broadcaster Ryan Lefevre. Wow. Wow. That's an honor. It is an honor. I will I, forever be the first. You will forever be the first. <laughs> we are excited to have you here today. Uh, you know, before we get into it, I want to shout out a couple of things here. First of all, there are a lot of people behind the scenes that made this all happen, and I want to give them a huge shout out. I am incredibly grateful to our entire creative team who put everything together, you know, got everything set up, our wonderful logo. We have this beautiful desk. They made this by hand, which is amazing. Truly, yeah. Casey Custom Hardware mm -hmm. Hardwoods. We love this desk. This is incredible. Look at the manufacturing here. Thank you so much to them, Casey Custom Hardwoods. We love everything that went into making this possible to getting you here today. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for asking. It's been fun talking with you in the dugout when uh, we're listening to Mike Matheny and the coaches and the players speak, and now we finally have a formal conversation. We do. Yeah. And, you know, I handpicked you as the first guest. And when I told you that, you laughed at me. <laughs> And you said, how many other people said, said no? no? Right, right. <laughs> and I said, Ryan, no, I handpicked you. Okay. And I handpicked you because, you know, I've, I'm still kind of new. I've only been here a couple months and I've gotten to meet a lot of people and, and it's been great. Everyone's been great. But uh, I've had some really great conversations with you. And you're one of those people, at least in, in my experience, when you talk to someone, you really, you're listening, you're engaging. You're not mm -hmm. one of those people who's talking to people to check things off the box. Mm -hmm. um, and when they kind of were like, who are we going to have? Who are we going to have? I'm like, I think Ryan would be a great first guest. So that's why I handpicked you. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah. And um, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I really believe that the longer I've done this, it's not more important to have a big call and a big moment you know, but to also be an ambassador for the team. Yeah. And a long time ago, I was like you. I was new here and replacing a very popular broadcaster. And I, re I remember the people who uh, treated me like hopefully I treated you. So that means a lot to me. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, yeah, you definitely did. And I actually just recently read your book, which mm -hmm. was also really great. And I learned a lot about you there. And you told me too, when I asked you to have, have you on the show, you're like, Carrie, everyone knows my story. Everyone knows me. They're sick of me. Are you sure? Like, no one, and I'm like, no, no. Like, I think, I think it'd be great. And your book, I learned a lot about you. And I actually didn't know that you had Major League Baseball in your background. I didn't know about your dad mm -hmm. and, and his history in Major League Baseball and, and how that kind of paved the way for you. But you also played yourself. Mm -hmm. Was there pressure, you know, being the child of someone who had so much success on that level? Yeah, and I think as I look back on it now, it was probably self-imposed sure, more. Course. I mean, I have a very unique last name. My father grew up in Los Angeles and played for the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. So in the 70s and the 80s, when I was a kid, his name was still a prominent name in Los Angeles. So, it, I mean, it was almost impossible for me to introduce myself or be introduced as a kid and someone not say, oh, are you related to Jim? Yeah. <clears throat> and so I, I think there was some pressure because of that. But um, when I look back at playing in high school and college and, and very briefly in the minor leagues, I really didn't enjoy the game as much as I could have mm -hmm. um, because I was so afraid to fail. Yeah. And, but, I, but as I look back on it now, I don't think that was from other people. Yeah. And so I, I do look back on, and I'm 51 years old now, I'm so far removed from my last real baseball game, but I do wish I could have gone back and just 
enjoyed the competition and not worry about people judging me because of who my father is. I don't think you're alone in that, though. I think a lot of athletes I talk to or, or people who, you know, had a former life doing something else, they would say that same thing, that mm -hmm. in, the, in the moment, there's so much pressure to do X, Y, Z. And then once they're removed from that, they're able to look at it and be like, dang, I should have slowed down yeah. and just enjoyed it. And I might have had better results, whatever those are. Yeah. And I have four kids now and, you know, they're, they're still young. My oldest is 12, but, you know, they're starting to think about what they want to do yeah. and, and having lived through some of that. And now, you know, now their father is somebody in Kansas City and, mm -hmm. and hoping that I can help guide them at an early age to not only do what you want to do, yeah. but find something that you're really going to enjoy. I think I was an only child until I was 13 years old. Okay. So I think it probably had as much to do with me just being on a team. You know, yeah. I just enjoyed being on a team. Um, I was, I was a good player for, for most of my life. So I think I enjoyed the responsibility of being one of the better players, but really enjoying and living and dying for every baseball game. I really didn't have that. So yeah. I think I made a good decision early on after I started my minor league career to pursue something else. So, I mean, growing up at a ballpark, that's not something every kid gets. I mean, mm -hmm. we see it too. We see little Granky, Bodie Granky, who's like the cutest kid. I love Bodie days, I call him, when he's here with Zach yeah. and on the field. And he's just, he, and he's even in the clubhouse doing stuff. And that's something that kid will have that like so many other kids won't ever have. And you got to have that with your dad as well. Do you think it diluted like how great it was for you at, at times? Well, my parents divorced when I was five years old. So that was my one-on-one -on -one time with my dad. Yeah. My mom raised me. Um, I knew it was a big deal, yeah. <laughs> but it was, but at the same time, it was just time with my dad. And yeah. I started at such a young age. I mean, I remember probably at nine years old, eight or nine years old is when I started hanging out at a major league ballpark, you know, just like Zach's kids. Yeah. And then, but I could bat boy back then. So, I mean, I'm eight or nine years old. I've got my little uniform and I'm running out and getting bats and getting the foul balls up against the screen and high-fiving guys as they you know, after they hit a home run. I mean, I was doing that at a really young age. Yeah. So, and then of course, my friends thought it was really cool. So, you know, I would stick my chest out a little farther when I got a chance to to hang out with my dad. But that's but I tell you what it did carry. It really prepared me for when I got into broadcasting because yeah. I, I got to the big leagues at a very young age and I was nervous for a million different reasons being 24 years old when I got my first job with the Minnesota Twins. But I was not overwhelmed by the environment sure. because I'd spent my childhood around the ballpark in, you know, in front of big crowds, even though I was just a bat boy. So I, that part prepared me for yeah. my broadcasting job. So why did you end up going to college in Minnesota? If you were an LA kid, I mean, that's a big difference. I'm a Wisconsin girl. Like, I don't know if I grew up in Southern California, if I'd be itching to go like, <laughs> you know, spend the winter, spend the school year in like Minnesota or Wisconsin. Yeah. Well, I don't think there've been many kids would go from Southern California to Minnesota to play baseball, yeah. you know, maybe to ice fish or something <laughs> like that, but not to play baseball. You know, there was a few schools on the West Coast, um, all the way up to the University of Washington, down to Southern California, that recruited me. And really, I, I went to the University of Minnesota on a recruiting visit as a favor to my father. He was friends with the coach at Minnesota. And I think my coach recruited me as a favor to my father. So we both were just doing a favor to my dad. But the spring of my senior year, the University of Minnesota came out to Southern California for their spring, tr spring uh, break trip to play USC and UCLA and Irvine and Pepperdine. 
So they, they were out there and they thought, well, we may as well go out and watch him play a game. And I guess I played well and they offered me a recruiting visit. And again, I'm thinking, first of all, where is Minnesota? Because if you grow up in Southern California, you know, there's like California and the rest of the world is back east. And there's Texas and there's New York. Yeah. And and there's... I mean, so where's Minnesota? And yeah. will I ever go to Minnesota again? Well, I'll do the recruiting visit. So as a favor to my father, I went. But there was just, my mom is from Wisconsin. Okay. So I think there was something inside of me that when I went on that recruiting visit, it was just strangely comfortable and it felt at home. And I had some older friends in high school that went away to college. They left California. Mm -hmm. I mean, some as far as Boston College. And when they would come home for Christmas or the summer, I could tell there was just something different about them than the knuckleheads that went to USC and UCLA and still came back to the high school football games on Friday night. And it's like, what are you doing here? You know. So I, I think there was also a part of that, that just getting out of my comfort zone. And I call it the first real mature thing that I did in my life was to just kind of pack up and go somewhere completely different. I knew nobody. Mm-hmm. And it was a one of the greatest decisions I've ever made in my life. So it's funny you said that you went out there or you kind of took the the gig there, went to college there as like a favor to your dad. There was mm-hmm. like favors back and forth. Well, when you got this job with the Royals, it's kind of funny. It, it kind of worked out that same way. You wanted the job with the mm-hmm. twins. You had the job with the twins. You wanted it extended, correct? Mm-hmm. But you were like, I'm going to go flirt with the Kansas City Royals. See if I can't get them to give me an offer. So the twins are like, oh, no, we need this guy. Yeah. They liked you so much that they lured you over here. And here you still are. Yeah, it's, it, it's almost an identical story. Seriously. I mean, I, 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 truth be told, I interviewed with the Royals for the sole purpose of leverage in Minnesota. I had a, a bad meeting with my boss at the radio station, and I just was depressed because I had I'd done all this research. It was going to be my fourth, it was going to be my fifth year with the Twins, my fourth year on radio. And I was ready for a big raise. And I look back on it now, and it really wasn't that big of a raise. But for me, it was like a big deal to go to, you know, go to the station, meet with the program director and say, this is what I think I should be paid. You know, I mean, I, I was worried about it for a month, and I went in there. And I mean, he just shot me down. He was so much more experienced in negotiations. Of course. So I go back to my apartment, and I'm just depressed and my old answering machine for people who remember what those are. And the red light was blinking. I had some messages and I, I hit the button and um, there's a message on there. And it said, hi, Ryan, my name is Sue Rayson, God rest her soul, from the Kansas City Royals radio network. And we were wondering if you might be interested in our radio opening. And I'm thinking, absolutely, I'd be interested <laughs> in your radio opening. So I made sure everybody knew that I was going to interview with the Kansas City Royals. They fly me here first class, which it's a one-hour flight. I mean, you really can't take advantage of first class on a one-hour flight. But I thought, wow, first class. I, oh, I, I remember like it was yesterday. I sit in my seat, and I get a copy of the Minneapolis Star Tribune. I get to the sports page. I open it up, and on the inside of page two, it says in, in headlines, Lefevre to interview with Royals today. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> My plan is working. Oh, this is all coming together perfectly. So I land at uh, KCI, and uh, I end up meeting the program director at KMBZ. At that time, I was an employee, or I would have been an employee for the radio station, not for the team. And I get in his car, and we're not even off 
the KCI grounds. And Bill says, well, we're glad you're here, and we really hope this visit goes well today because you're our number one candidate. And I thought it would, that completely changed the visit. And yeah. I thought, wow, I, I, you know, I thought I was one of like 10 guys or whatever. And we came to the stadium, and uh, just behind you is Craft and Draft. Mm-hmm. It used to be the old stadium club, and it was a fancy restaurant, and it was enclosed by big glass windows, and it was open year-round. And they took me to lunch in there. And I mean, it was one Royals employee after another coming over and introducing themselves. And we're so happy you're here and we hope it goes well. I knew some of them because I'd been here with the twins on a road trip. And I got on the plane that night and flew back to Minneapolis. And I had the same feeling that I did flying from Minneapolis back to Los Angeles from my college recruiting visit. Like, you know, maybe I'm being called to get out of another comfort zone and try something else. Mm -hmm. And... um, they offered me the job, and the twins said, "What can we do to get you to stay?" And I just thought, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. Here's two, here's someone I love, and they gave me a great opportunity as a major league broadcaster. Here's somebody who's interested in me. I'm not gonna have two people bidding for me. That just felt dirty, and I just said, you know what? I really ap- appreciate that you said that to me, but I'm just gonna take this job. And that was 23 years ago. Oh, my gosh. Your plan, your original plan worked too well. <laughs> yeah. you, isn't it one of those it things? It backfired where right in my face. You don't always know what you want. You be careful yeah. what you ask for because you just might get it. Right. Exactly. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Well, you probably have something like that in your television career, don't you? Yeah, probably a little bit. I mean, mine was something something similar. I've been in media and broadcasting for 10 plus years now. I started at a radio station in my local hometown when I was 17 in college, and they just put me on air right away. It was so small that they, like, you know, we had tens of listeners that my old boss used to say that tens of people are going to hear this. And I'd be like, thank you. Uh, So they put me on air right away just reading, you know, random, you know, whether it was commercial spots they had. And then I kept, you know, jawjacking about the Packers and what they needed to do in the offseason. And he's like, do you want to be on the sports side of things? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. You know, I was on the news side. He's like, all right, well, you still got to do your internship here. But, you know, you can do sports stuff afterwards with me. You know, we had to go cover some high school football game or whatever it was. And so he let me tag along with them. And I was doing stuff pretty quick there because it was just so small. Well, we, we have something in common because I, I thought I wanted to get into news also. Really? Yeah. I mean, I... I think I was I was afraid of being the dumb jock that could okay. do nothing but either play sports or talk about sports, you know, which in truth that's probably what I was, you know. <laughs> but um I had a funny story which you might relate to, but I'm I wanted to be a news anchor. Okay. I mean, I, I wanted to be Tom Brokaw. Okay. You know, who started in Los Angeles when I was a kid, way back when before the Today Show and NBC Nightly News and all that. And my mom watches the news all the time. And so I thought, you know, I'm gonna be a news anchor, you know what I mean? sit at the stage and good evening here's the top stories for tonight you know whatever so I'm doing an internship at a small station like you and the program director was an aspiring news director and he eventually became that he said well Ryan what do you want to do and I said well I want to be a news anchor and he said really well you know if you want to be a news anchor you have to be a reporter first so on the spot I was like well yeah I mean I knew that um you didn't know that did you no I didn't (laughs) so it was like a scene out of a movie. He was looking at me, you know, over his glasses yeah. and he leans across the desk and he says, and this is in Minneapolis. He says, okay, two kids are 
walking on the Washington Avenue Bridge, and they fall into the Mississippi River and drown. Are you ready to take a camera crew to the kid's parents' house and get a statement from them? And I thought, why would anybody ever want to yeah. do that? You know, <laughs> that, sounds I, that sounds terrible. Why would I? So before I left his office, I realized I was not going to be a news anchor because yeah. I just didn't have breaking news in my DNA. Yeah. The first one with the scoop. I mean, I don't care about that kind of stuff. But similar to you, I mean, our our stories are similar. I got a little a little taste of everything, and mm-hmm. I felt like just organically life pushed me toward play by play. It was just the the best fit for my personality. It, life is has a way of doing that, doesn't mm-hmm. it? You, if you we just, allow it to. Exactly. Yeah. That's true. You have to be like a willing participant, but it's like the current will take you directions that you're maybe supposed to go. And you have to mm-hmm. make decisions, of course. Like you can't just float around aimlessly. You got to get mm-hmm. off the couch. You got to do things and whatnot. But if you're purposeful towards things and doing what lights you up, what you're good at, I feel like eventually we we get there. I mean, it's, it's like this all around. You know, the line mm-hmm. to success is not linear, of course. But like you said, if you're amenable to it, you get there. Um, and you're probably gonna have some fun stories along the way. I mean, right? Well, there, there's there's a word that I think is is not really taken seriously like it should be, and the word is career. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to get into something now and think about the next promotion and how quickly can I get to the next job and how quickly can I get a raise and and so when I when I talk to aspiring broadcasters now who would love to do what I'm doing someday, and I think that's great, is you need to think about this more like 20 or 30 years. Yeah. Are, you, are, you, are you making progress toward the 20 or 30 year thing? You may not get to where you really want after 10, 15, or 20 years. Yeah. But if you love what you're doing and it's something that gets you out of bed in the morning, um, you know that, that's what I picked coming out of college. I mean, I had a lot of college friends who um, got a, you know, went after the highest paying job that offered them a car and they got to, they bought their first house when they were 24 years old, Mm -hmm. you know, and meanwhile, I'm scrambling to make, you know, 50 bucks a game and $5 an hour just to stay on the air. But I couldn't wait to go to work every day. Yeah, yeah. And five, 10 years goes by in a flash. And those same guys are like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do this the rest of my life. And, and I'm still, you know, jumping out of bed, ready to go to my next game. And ideally, if you're doing it right, it should be building blocks. Every job, every mm-hmm. situation, every opportunity that you get should build to your to your next one. And it should be a building block type of thing if 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 you're doing it right. Mm-hmm. Not saying that there won't be steps back or anything like that. But, you know, I think of that and I think of, you know, Vin Scully, who we just lost mm-hmm. recently um, and what a career he had. And I know you knew him personally and you told a story the other day on air about it. But you knew him from when you were a little boy. And he is, you know, highly revered in the industry and left such a mark. And it was, you know, it's so hard to lose someone like that and what he meant to baseball. But building blocks. I mean, it's just mm. even his career as well. Do you have any good Vince Scully stories for us? Oh, I mean, he's I mean, he he literally changed my life. Yeah. Um, when I was when I was little in Southern California, uh, where we lived and where he lived uh, were two different cities, but I mean, they were right next to each yep, other. That's California for you. That's, yep, exactly. <laughs> so we, I would see him um, in public as much like at the grocery as store? I did at the ballpark. Yeah. I mean, we'd run into him at the grocery store. My mom was a real estate agent. And so we spent a lot of time in her car. She'd be going to listings or whatever. And sometimes we'd drive by Vin's house and he'd be like every other guy's in his yard, you know, mowing the lawn. Exactly. (laughs) And she'd stop and honk her horn and she'd come over and, or he'd walk over and we would just say hello. And I mean, growing up in Southern California, um, 
as I said the other day, it was it was always exciting to meet somebody famous, but I was never really overwhelmed by it just yeah. because you know, you just see famous people at the grocery store and in restaurants and um, and then I'm going to the ballpark with my dad around famous ball players. So it was kind of normal for me, but you know, with Vin, I wanted to be a player. So it was neat knowing the team broadcaster, but mm-hmm. I wanted I, I was more interested in the players. Yeah. When I got into broadcasting and I started to listen to him with professional ears yes. and not as a kid wondering what the score was of the Dodgers game, I was just blown away at how good he was. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything he said sounded like it was it was scripted and written ahead of time, and he had the right words and the right phrases. I mean, he was just a freak of nature when it came to the language and the timing and the setup and everything. So I get a job. Uh, with the twins in 1995. I'm 24 years old. And my mom says, you know, you need to write Vin a letter and and tell him what you're doing. He'd probably love to hear that you're doing what he's doing, which I laughed at. And I said, yeah, and I'm going to write a letter to Tiger Woods and say, <laughs> you know, I play golf too. I went golfing yeah, the I'm other like, day. <laughs> I'm like, mom, I, we may have similar jobs, but I am not doing what Vin's doing. It's yeah. on a completely different level. And I didn't see him until 2003, and we're finally, interleague play takes us to Dodger Stadium. Mm. And I was nervous because I, I, I had to go in the Dodger booth and say hi to Vin Scully. Now, at this point, I hadn't seen him for 20 years. And I remember I was sitting in the reg out there really early. I'm sitting in the radio booth getting my work done. And Dodger Stadium's an old stadium, and the, the hallways are very small at the broadcast level with concrete so the, the, it echoes in the hallway. So I'm sitting in the booth, and it's quiet. And all of a sudden, I hear, well, Tom, how was your weekend? It's good to see you. And I'm like, I mean, there's only one voice and who that was. And I mean, I'm, I'm getting nervous, and I'm going to have to go in the booth and, and say hi to Vin. And I walk in the booth, and you know, there he is, sitting there at the desk in the Dodgers TV booth, preparing like I'm preparing over in the Royals radio booth. And I think, you know, if, if we get into a business where we have um, a hero mm-hmm. or an idol, and he really became that for me. I mean, he was an idol, even though he was a person. Uh-huh. And I think we always dream about, you know, I want to be as popular as Vin Scully, or I want to be as good as Vin Scully, or I want to be as wealthy as Vin Scully, mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, at least for me, my goals were, were very material when I, when I looked at him. And there he was just sitting there. And I walked up, and I, I, I came up to his left, and I was fully prepared to say, hi, Vin, I'm Ryan Lefevre, I'm Jim's son, I'm a broadcaster for the Royals now, and I just wanted to say hello to you, fully expecting to say, oh, Ryan, good to see you, haven't seen you in a long time, and, yeah. and that'd be the end of it. Carrie, I walk down next to him, and he turns, because he sees someone in his periphery, and he turns, and I'm, I'm about to, I'm extending my right hand, and before I can get a word out, he says, well, Ryan, after all these years, oh. look at you. And I mean, I just fell to pieces. I was just like, wow, I, he, I couldn't believe that you know, he remembered yeah. me. Now, I'm sure that he had, being as popular as he is, he had people tell him, the Royals are coming to town. Ryan Lefevre is one of their broadcasters. It's yeah. Jim's son. And all. I mean, if we had passed each other on the street, he wouldn't have recognized well, me. Because I, I, don't, I don't think so. But I mean, he just, I sat down next to him and I started telling him stories about the Royals that I knew he could, 
you know, he could add some color to it yeah. the way he always could. And he's sharing stuff with me. And for 10 minutes, we were just two broadcasters sharing information on each other's teams. And the way that it changed my life was when the series was over, I wrote him a letter. I went back to the team hotel and I wrote him a long letter just telling him, you know, how much that meant to me yeah. and, and what he's meant to me. And we ended up doing a radio interview together, which, which they played the other day um, during the rain delay in Chicago. But I, I, I left realizing, you know what? I'm never going to be as big as Vin Scully. I'll never be as good as Vin Scully. I'll never be as revered as Vin Scully. But I can do for someone else what he did for me that day. That I can do. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I never forgot that. And so when people come up to the booth or if I run into them at the stadium or in public, and I mean, I, I see myself as just a regular guy. Mm-hmm. I'm married with four kids. I mean, I'm more concerned about are things going well at home, whether is my call going to be replayed on SportsCenter tonight or not? I mean, I mean that's just kind of life as a husband and a father of four. Um, but I know that some people listen to our games every day. Mm-hmm. And if I run into them, to them, it's a big deal yeah. to meet me. And I don't want to ruin that for them, just like he didn't ruin that for me. And so that really, really changed the trajectory of what I thought, what I realized my purpose was as not as a Royals broadcaster, but more of a, a Royals ambassador. Yeah, it's so much bigger than that, like yeah. you said. And I think Vin really encapsulated that in everything that he did. It mm-hmm. w- it's so much more than just calling balls and strikes, calling the game. Uh, you have a way to reach people. And there are so many people, too, who feel like they know you because they listen mm-hmm. to you every day. So whether or not they've met you, and I I feel this way, too, with, you know, the Good Morning America and the, the uh, you know, those crew and Robin Roberts. She's the one that I always looked up to growing up, too. I'm like, I, I know. Robin's my girl. Like, we are friends. I've right. never met her. <laughs> right. But she's in my living room every morning. Yeah. Like, I know her. There are so many people who know you because of what you provide for mm-hmm. them. And that's a special place to be. And it's someplace that it sounds like you don't take that lightly, which is great. Yeah, I, I really don't. I mean, I think I think as I'm younger, like a lot of people, it's kind of like, oh, I want to do this and mm-hmm. I want to do that. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to do a World Series sometime or I'd, gosh, I wish I could have an iconic call that they play on Crown Vision before every game or, you know, me, 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 me. And then you get to a point where you you think, gosh, you know, you can either take the route of, you know, I've been here this long. I've done this. I mean this much to the team. And then I think as we get older, you're like, wow, the team has trusted me. Done so much for me. Exactly. Yes. I mean, everything I have in Kansas City is because of the Royals, yeah. you know? And so, and and then to really think about the role that they trust me with every night, mm-hmm. the information that they give me, some stuff I can share on the air. Sometimes I can't. Sometimes I can kind of carefully filter the message through so that the fans know what's going on with the team. And then you begin to realize, you know, gosh, wow, why me? You know, why, why, did they, why, did, why have I had this job for so long? So then it just becomes, it really just becomes very humbling. Yes, you know? 100%. Now, strategically, I would love to know how you strike the balance of, you know, talking enough but not talking too much. Yeah. Because with your job, it, it's hard. You know, you get the people who don't talk enough and, and people are sitting at home like, I'm, there's no sound here. What's going on? We need mm-hmm. people to talk more. And then you get people who talk too much. And then the people at home are like, well, this guy just wants to hear himself talk. And so it's this beautiful place to get into to get to that sweet spot. But it's probably tricky, <laughs> is it not? Yeah, I think uh, somebody asked me recently, you know, what what do you wish you could go back 
20 whatever years and say, hey, Ryan, you really need to work on this <laughs> because do you, want, do you want to learn this now or do you want to learn this over the course of 20 years yeah. or whatever? It was a good question. I had to think about it. And I think the answer that I came up with is in baseball, which is three hours every day for six months, I have, I have to learn and every broadcaster has to learn to be comfortable with their own silence. Yes. And that um, the I've never heard of someone say, not never, I can hardly remember anyone saying, this guy doesn't talk enough. Yeah. It's always this guy won't shut up. <laughs> because there's this tendency to feel like we always have to be talking. Filling the space, filling the void. Yeah, so um, sometimes I might have a good story to tell, and sometimes there might be nothing to say, mm -hmm. and so say nothing. Denny told me our, our first year together, you know, I asked him for advice about broadcasting together on the radio, you know, and he said, well, I'll tell you what Buddy Blattner told me back in 1969. If you have something good to say, by all means, say it. Mm -hmm. If you have nothing good to say, then say nothing. And that seems, sim you know, it seems simple, but there's always a tendency to feel like I have to say something, I have to say something. And so I, I look at it this way. Let's say, let's say you and I go to a Royals game, okay? You're new to town. We're friends, but you're new to town. You haven't really been following the Royals, but you're really excited to come to the game. I've been following the Royals just about every day. So you're going to sit down, and in the early innings, I'm going to tell you, you know, the Royals have been playing well this year. The team they're playing is not. Uh, this pitcher's not been doing well this season, but he seems to be getting a little bit better. Um, the offense he's facing today has had a really good year, so this will be a good test and to see – you know, just kind of setting the stage for mm -hmm. what's going on. And as the game goes along, hopefully that tapers off and that we just begin to sit together and watch the game. And then maybe there's a comment here or there about, hey, did you know that this guy's grandfather played in the major leagues or add an anecdote to what's going on? But as the game develops and as the tension builds in the later innings, we hope, then we're just sitting and watching. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of take that approach in a broadcast. Early on, I don't ever want to assume that the audience is Royals fans that have been watching every game every season. Well, because no one's watched as detailed as you have watched. So you kind of have to like pick and choose. You know what I mean? I'm introducing the game and the teams, exactly. the early innings. And when I'm doing the game on television, Rex Hudler is going to be adding color to the statements and, and, and television is more geared toward the analyst. So mm -hmm. he should be talking more than I should on television on radio. The innings that I do on radio, you know, typically I'm just the only one that's, that's talking, uh -huh. you know, and then as the tension builds and the, and the moments become bigger, I should be just sitting back and watching the game with everybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, let the, the crowd noise tell the story, let yeah. the sounds of the game tell the story. And I'm just complimenting what you see on your screen but I don't, I don't want to be talking over it. I mean, one of the great things that we've all learned from Vin Scully, and I learned this at a young age in my broadcasting, is when the moment is big and the crowd is roaring, don't talk over that. I mean, there's nothing better on radio or TV to just listen to the, the crowd and, and on TV cutting to fans that are celebrating. I mean, what am I going to, you know, hey, look at that guy. He's really excited. You know, I mean, no, I mean, just let the picture and the sounds tell the story because that's, 
bigger and better than anything I could ever say. Yeah. And it's finding your your place and think, finding your style too. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got their own style mm-hmm. of, of what they like to bring to things. And the way you broadcast is different than the way the next person mm-hmm. broadcasts and, and finding that niche and that spot for yourself, I'm sure comes with time. It comes with age, comes with feeling it out, making mistakes, screwing up and figuring it out. So it was Robin Roberts was your Vin Scully? Yeah. You know, do, I you, heard- ever, do you ever find yourself on the air saying, wow, that was just copying I was just copying her. That well, wasn't that wasn't me. That was me copying her. I loved her career like trajectory because she started off as a sports mm-hmm. gal at you know ESPN, and then she went to the more lifestyle, you know, Good Morning America stuff. But she does. I mean, she can do it all. I mean, she does. She has such a wide you know variety of things that she can do, things that she has done. Um, so I just think she's a great like full spectrum journalist, and that's mm-hmm. kind of always what I like aspired to be. There's there's people who specialize in in one thing. You know, David Muir is always going to be like world news tonight you know he's going to have mm-hmm. that stern like look that everyone loves to hear from david muir and or barbara walters or whatnot and and i'm like i kind of want to do it all i kind of want to have a little fun and that was robin roberts i think mm. for me yeah well we all i mean we all need that i mean i think we all need someone that that we watch and say i like the way he or she does it so i'll, I'll start from there yeah and then over time it's kind of like what's that uh um you know that visual that people use you know ships at sea you know where they're they're going alongside, but if one of them turns one degree, you know you can't tell right now. But hundred two mile hundred two hundred miles into the ocean, all of a sudden, you know they've they've gone a long way from each other. And yeah. I think that's that's similar to what I did. Is I'll I'll start by hopefully being a, an accurate broadcaster and a good storyteller like uh-huh. Vin Scully is, but it, eventually it has to be Ryan Lefevre. Ryan Lefevre, not yep. a not a second rate version of Vin Scully. All right, hang tight, everyone. We'll be back in a second. You know, the question I've really been wanting to ask you is, where do you come off getting putting a B in your name? <laughs> That's the real question I, uh, here. I mean, so it's a, it's a, it's a very common French name. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Lefebvre is how it's pronounced. That's the correct pronunciation. Can I call you that from now on? <laughs> you, I'm not going to, I won't know who you're talking to, but yeah. He's going to start ignoring me in it's, the dugout. He's going to be like this girl. Yeah, it's, and so for French speaking people, I mean, it's like, you know, my last name, it's like Smith. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's common. So we go to Montreal in 2002, French-speaking Canada. We're in Quebec. I mean, it's, I mean, Montreal, if you know, I don't know if you've ever been there before, but I mean, it is the most bilingual yeah. city, I think, in all of Beautiful. North America. I mean, everybody that. speaks English and everybody speaks French. So in 2002, that was right about the time that I think caller ID would come up when you would call the front desk, yeah. right? So here we are in Montreal, and I, I don't know, I think I had ran out of towels or something like that, and so I hit the operator, and so I'm sure my name comes up, you know, and the guy's like, bonjour, monsieur Lefebvre, <laughs> and he starts, you know, going into all this French, and I'm like, uh, can I have a couple of towels, please? You know, and I could, and the other, and he's probably like, oh my gosh. This guy. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful French name is wasted on this ugly, you know, American, you know, or whatever. Now, so, <laughs> so yeah, it is the B. I my name has been mispronounced and misspelled more times than I can count. Um, but somehow somebody came up with Lefevre out of the name, which sounds like a stage name, right? They're like, well, what's your real name? Yeah, because it can't be Lefevre, right? Yeah. So yeah. So true. <laughs> 
That was the one question I needed to get out from you. <laughs> Where do you come off putting a B in your name? Right. Well, we have some lightning round questions that I'm excited to ask you. Okay. These are fun. This is how we're going to wrap it up. We know you have stuff to do before the game, so we want to be you know, uh, courteous of your time. But these are some hard-hitting questions. Are you ready? Oh, boy. Let's go. What is your go-to ballpark snack? Do you eat at the ballpark? Because some people, you know, being on radio and stuff, you got to make sure the vocal cords, like do you have a specific thing you drink or, or what is it? Well, I do have dinner right before the game. Yep, I see you in there. Um, I yep. stay away from sugars and carbs because it'll it'll make my voice phlegmy. Sure. If that's a word. Yes, it is. It is. Now. It is. So, um, but I'm mostly just drinking water. I'll have a cup of coffee sure. before the game just to give myself a little a little boost of, of caffeine. But I really don't eat anything during the game okay. just because I don't want to have something stuck in my throat. You don't want any chewing ASMR in the background? No, of the- <laughs> no I don't. Yeah, right. <laughs> the whole game. So we do have on television and radio, we have a little box in front of us that has a button that says cough on it, literally. So if we have to clear our throat during the game, we can hit that and it turns the microphone off and we can be clearing our throat. But usually it's just it's just water during the game. Keep it simple. Yep. All right. You get to pick a walk-up song. What is it? Oh my gosh. Well, this is kind of embarrassing, but my last walk-up song at the University of Minnesota was a New Kids on the Block song. Yes. Yeah. So I have this, some people in Kansas City know, not everybody, but I have this fascination with boy bands. Oh, wow. So um, it was a, it's a New Kids on the Block song called Call It What You Want, but it was remixed by the CNC Music Factory in the in the early 90s and Great that was time. my walk-up song at the university of minnesota wow yeah it's a strong song too yeah so, yeah wow that's impressive yeah, it takes a it takes a real man to admit that the, too. they love boy bands yeah exactly yes. yeah, that's okay you heard it here first but we're breaking <laughs> news right here on the <laughs> right. podcast uh hardest name you've ever had to pronounce oh my gosh what about like like saltalamachia or like that's a tough one but you know, I don't know, but the first thing that comes to mind is, so my first year with the Twins, I did basically what Joel Goldberg does okay. for us, and I got to do some work in the booth. Okay. My second year is when I started doing more play-by-play on television and then on radio, which was really at my goal at that time, is I wanted to be a radio play-by-play announcer. So my first game was at Jacobs Field in, in Cleveland, which is now Progressive Field, 1996, and the Twins are playing the Indians. And it was my first game on the Twins radio network. And in my first inning, which was the fourth inning, uh, John Gordon, who was my mentor in Minnesota, says, we go to the fourth inning, and here's Ryan Lefevre. And Chuck Knobloch was leading off for the Twins in that inning. And so here I am, I'm doing my first. I had already done a couple of games on TV, but I don't know, but there was something about doing my first inning on, on radio. Mm-hmm. And I just fell all over Chuck Knobloch's name. Like, I mean, he's a Twins player. It's for our team. It's not even that hard of a name yeah. to hear. And I know all of my friends and all of my former teammates are listening to my first inning on radio. And I was like, Chuck Knob, Chuck <laughs> not not Ch- Chuck Knobloch. And it was just like, oh my gosh, couldn't even get that name to roll off my tongue. So I can't think of one that I really no, that's a struggle tough one. with. But that was. It's not a tough one. 
You know but, I, but I found a way to butcher it in my first inning. You know whose name is low-key hard to pronounce is Joel Goldberg because mm-hmm. phonetically his name ends with the letter, like this sound that it starts with. Yeah, yeah. So I was interviewing him when we were in Cooperstown and I just, I like just didn't even say his name. And I, I know Joel like for, you know, I know his name, but for some right. reason I could not say it like in unison when we were like on camera and he's like, we got done and he's like, yeah. Everyone has a hard time with my name. And I'm like, that's because it's phonetically a mess, all right? Well, and along those lines, too, it's not a name, but when the Royals play the Orioles, Royals and Orioles, it's like, and I will say sometimes, you know, at the end of three innings, it's the Royals four and the Orioles three. And I'm like, did I say Orioles (laughs) four, Royals three? Because they they sound a lot alike. And so that's always, that always messes me up. It's tricky. Let's hear your favorite game you've ever called. Oh, boy. Um... Well, the first ones, obviously, like, what am I doing here? Uh-huh. Broadcasting Major League Baseball at 24, 25 years old. I mean, the wild card game in 2014 right here was just such a... Electric. Yeah, and it was just such an incredible game, and, and the way that it ended, um, you know, game five of the 15 World Series and and and, and getting the, to be able to say the Royals are World Series champions was was amazing. Um, but I think the, I think, I don't know if I think about it in games, but in, I'll I'll say this, the, the inning that I'll never forget, it was game four in Houston Mm -hmm. in the, in the division series. And it was an elimination game. We had gone to the world series and made it to game seven the year before. Then we won 95 games in 2015. And it was, it was almost over in four games we were down by four in the eighth inning, just like we were in the wild card game. Down by four in the eighth inning in Houston, and I and I think everybody felt like the season was over. And uh, but it was an afternoon game, and I was doing the game on radio, and it was that that rare time today with so much television mm-hmm. that I knew that there were a lot of people in their cars, um, in car line or whatever. It probably wasn't. Uh, late enough for them to get home and turn the game on radio. So I knew we had a huge radio audience and then just the incredible comeback. I mm-hmm. mean, the Royals scored five runs in the eighth inning and, and took the lead and, um, you know, there was an error. And so I always think that that was like the ideal game to call inning on radio. Yeah. And, but what I remember about is we were down by four in the eighth inning and, and, uh, and I quoted Fred White, my predecessor here. And Fred White used to say, um, if you want to dream a little bit, and then he would present this scenario that just kind of seemed, you know, like very unlikely. Yeah. And I said on the air, I said, um, the Royals are down by four. And, 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 and this just happens as a broadcaster. Sometimes we plan things and it, and it doesn't sound that great. It sounds like it was planned. And then sometimes almost just like a gift from God, the words just fall from the sky and they're right there. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, something along the lines of, you know, we go to the, we go to the eighth inning, the Royals are down by four, just like they were in the wild card. And as the late Fred White once said, if you want to dream a little bit, well, we've seen this happen before and we'll see if it happens again here. And I just imagine people in their cars just going, "Yeah, (laughs) really? I mean, how corny was that? Well, when they came back and won the game, now all of a sudden everyone called me, how did you know? I didn't know. I just was, you know, I thought the season was about to be over. Yeah, that's a cool memory. This one, I'm curious about your response. Would you rather call a one nothing game or, you know, a goose egg game mm-hmm. or a really high scoring game 
20, you know, the Red Sox a couple weeks ago had a game where that was just runs on runs on runs, 20-some runs. Would you rather call a game like that or a game where it's goose eggs? I think the high-scoring game like that can be is fun every now and then. Yeah. But the one nothing game is, you know, I don't know if the what the fans enjoy a game like that, but as a broadcaster, every pitch means something, every play means something. So true. Those are Those are more interesting to me as opposed to, you know, it's 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 ten nine in the fifth inning, and everybody knows like okay, we just hit a two run home run, but this is this game is not over. But yeah. so I'd I'd prefer as a broadcaster. Yeah. I'm not saying the fans should enjoy that more, but as a broadcaster, the one nothing game. Interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, yeah, for being our you. guest. Anything else you would like to promote? This is your minute to shine. Uh, you know, anything you want to tell our listeners about or anything like that? Well, I, I want to actually have a question for you before Let's we go. It. Okay. So you've been in Kansas City for two years yes. now, right? So how do you like Kansas City? I, How's Kansas City treating you? I love Kansas City. Um, and Kansas City has been great. You're right. I've been here two years. And, uh, you know, it reminds me a lot of home. I'm from Wisconsin. It reminds me a lot of Milwaukee. I went to school in Milwaukee, so I spent four years there. Um, and I really love Milwaukee. We thought about moving Where there. Where did you grow up in Wisconsin? Central Wisconsin. Central Wisconsin, okay. Small town, central Wisconsin. And, you know, we were living at my parents' place in, you know, small town, central Wisconsin in the middle of pandemic. And October hit, and we were like, we got to get out of here. We were just, you know, everyone had that moment in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we picked Kansas City. We thought about Milwaukee. I still have a lot of connections there in the baseball field and in the TV field because I worked there. And then we thought about Kansas City. My sister-in-law lives here. My uh, husband is from Omaha. So we were like, you know, let's just do it. We came here for a wedding one weekend and we looked at apartments and like two weeks later we moved down here and we've been here ever since. And it's been great. Honestly, my, my husband, I don't want to say he brought me here kicking and screaming. He didn't, you know, I, I would have preferred to have gone to Milwaukee. Um, but now that we've been here two years, it's kind of flip-flopped. He's kind of, kind of take or leave Kansas City. And I'm like, no, we're like, we're buying a house. We're looking for a house. Like we're doing, I'm like, this is where I live. This is what I like. I'm Kansas City. So. Have you claimed a barbecue restaurant yet? I'm a vegetarian, Ryan. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Even if you go there and just have the French fries or the onion rings. Well, you know. Next time we talk, you, 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 you're not truly a Kansas Cityan sure. until you claim your barbecue So when location. my family was in town, we went to Q39 and okay. they had a wonderful, um, you know, vegetarian burger for me. And I love like onion rings. I like all the barbecue accoutrement. You know what I mean? So like the mac. Who's going to look up accoutrement in the, in the dictionary? That's okay. A, yeah, there okay. we go. Is that too big? <laughs> I mean, I can say it, but I don't know what it means. But you and your French last yeah. name and you don't know the word accoutrement. <laughs> Come on, Ryan. Uh, yeah, so we went there and I loved it. So maybe Q39, I don't, I don't know. Okay, I, I yeah, like it's a good place to start. Barbecue adjacent place. stuff. You know, it's a, Kansas City people are, are good. Like, they like good food. They like good beer. They like their sports teams. Like, that's that's what I grew up around. That's what I like. So it's been a really seamless transition. Yeah, and good. I've loved every minute. Well, welcome and we're happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. And I'm so happy that you were here today. Again, is there anywhere you want to tell the people to be found? Do you want to be found on social media or are you not? I'm not, I'm not on social media. Wow, and, a and, unicorn, everyone. Well, I, 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 this sounds like, you know, false humility or modesty or whatever, but I feel like three hours a night is enough of me. You don't, you don't need to be following me on social media. I really don't, I'm really not that interesting not beyond interested. the three hours of the game. Um, I do have an account I follow only five people okay. or places, and it's all Royals related for news. But I don't, 
I have no social media, none. All right. So sorry, you guys. If you want more Ryan, um, there's no <laughs> yeah. more to be found. Tune into Royals baseball. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Listen for him there for three hours and you'll be sick of him. Just kidding. We love you, it's Ryan. <laughs> we love having you here. Uh, you are such an integral part of the Royals as an organization. You have been so welcoming to me. So I want to thank you so much for being here, for being our first guest. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Carrie. This is great. We're so uh, happy you could be here. We're so happy that everyone tuned in and listened. Um, there's going to be more episodes. So make sure that you subscribe. Again, the show is called The Homestand. So we're doing another episode each homestand. There's, you know, we're making it easy for people to remember when Are to Are you going to wear that shirt for every podcast? Yeah. You know, I'm I'm just going to leave it hung up in our studio. Perfect. Uh, you know, I'm going to take it home, no washing, and it's it's just going to be the shirt every time. Perfect. So there we go. And it'll sell like crazy at the <laughs> Royals team store. I want the shirt that Carrie wears on the podcast. <laughs> Either that or they'll be like, no, we're sick of this. Get it off. Get it off of her. Have her wear something else. So... Thank you so much, Ryan, for being here. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Subscribe, and we will see you next time on The Homestand.